your ass off the range rope. Yeah, Benny, that attitude toward the homeless is exactly what Maureen is protesting. Maureen is protesting losing her performance space. Not my attitude. Come down, I want to talk to you. Hello, welcome to Generation Lost, the show about movies with Bryn and Jeremy. That's right. Welcome to the show, everybody. We've got a lot to cover. We've got but first and <laughs> so foremost, much to cover. First and foremost, I just want to say, wow, K-pop, Stan, Twitter, I hope every single one of you fucking die. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you find some sort of weapon or, um, you know, a rope and just kill yourself. Do whatever it takes, whatever you got to do. Go to the DMZ and just start fucking <laughs> flapping your dick around. <laughs> Get your ass plugged full of bullets. All right. So what happened? I don't. I'm just so going I, with this bit, but I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So i i had a I had a pretty big tweet this week. Uh, I saw it was a it was a joke uh, about um, the war in Afghanistan. It wasn't really a joke. I mean, it was more of a... It was a funny... Um, it was a an irreverent... Uh, yeah, we'll call it irreverent. It yeah. was an irreverent d- tweet. Yeah. And um, most Just people a, took it that way. In case you didn't see it, it was a screenshot of the Atlantic with the headline saying, Afghanistan was your fault. And Jeremy said, fuck you, I was 12. <laughs> yes. And and it's a... it's Good tweet. It's a good tweet. It's not funny <laughs> if it's not The Atlantic, I feel. That's my opinion. If it wasn't The Atlantic, <laughs> that wouldn't be a funny tweet. That's true. It would true. be okay. Well, if it was The New York Times, it would be it would funny be, It would be funny if it was The Times, too. But if it was like BuzzFeed, it wouldn't be as it funny. It wouldn't be as funny. So... Because it wasn't BuzzFeed's fault, but it yeah. was Atlantic's fault. So for whatever reason... Uh, for the most part, people were pretty cool and and had fun with it the way okay. you're supposed to interact with a tweet. And then for whatever reason, it's it's Stan Twitter is just like all up my fucking ass all week. <laughs> just like like uh, mediocre white men thinking that everything is about them. It's not about you, sweetie. And then their picture is like Marcus Rashford from Manchester United. And they're like called mrs rashford what like, mrs rashford marcus's wife stan twitter like it's all these stan twitter freaks and and whatever it is that happened the k-pop people have been really like the furthest up my ass this week the k-pop it's people. all k-pop people it's all people with like pictures of like little twinkie korean boys and <laughs> and but then then all their tweets are saying the n-word so i don't know what, what that is they do that they love it they love it they think they can say it <laughs> I don't think any of these people are actually Korean, by the way. They're I think they're probably all white. white. Yeah, <laughs> almost certainly. But they've all been up my ass all week. And they're like taking the... My, Not my, that if they were, if they were Korean, they could say it. Additionally, yes. <laughs> but, d- d- you know, my profile picture right now is me and Nico. And they're all fucking like quote tweeting everything that I'm saying, saying your son is ugly. Your son is your fucked son up. Your son is ugly. And I'm like, 
what the fuck is wrong with you freaks? <laughs> Wait, why are they mad exactly? Because my my tweet was an expression of white privilege. How? Because I have the privilege to not live in Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> But you weren't pro at the Afghan war. Yeah, no, I feel like I added enough addendums to that tweet that anybody should be able to read it and be like, I get it. Unless you're fucking brain damaged. Unless you're brain damaged from <laughs> listening to too much K-pop. Yeah. In which, which case. Which can happen. And you shouldn't do it. <laughs> you shouldn't do it. It's dangerous. Don't listen to that stuff. It will rot your brain. It will rot your brain. In any case, uh, Bugs Bunny meme, I wish all K-pop stands a very... Die. Die. <laughs> Or in, if I were in a more charitable mood, I wish all K-pop stands a very wake-up Korean. <laughs> North Korean. <laughs> Did I say it on there on this fucking show? There was a video I saw recently of um, South a South Korean K-pop band playing for in an auditorium in North Korea. Uh huh. And their faces are just stone. And there's like an old grandma who's just like, fuck off. <laughs> she just has this look of just like, this sucks. They hate it. This uh, this YouTuber that I was telling you about before has a video about K-pop and just going through all of the different R&B that they've been ripping off. <laughs> it fucking rules. <laughs> oh, uh wasn't it fd singularity or something yeah yeah, yeah. or fd um why well, can't it's hard to remember his name yeah. fd signifier signifier yeah it's just a bad name he should come up with something FD a little... signifier we support your channel maybe change the name something a little <laughs> little pithier something a little quicker to say <laughs> sorry if we think it's a bad name because we're white <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is yeah <laughs> um but no uh so yeah fuck all of those people who are mad at jeremy online yeah, anybody who's fucking posting pictures of my son and and talking shit about him uh i hope you fucking uh, uh die die yeah, yeah probably I, yeah. D- I definitely do um, <laughs> he's a very cute kid he's leave a, him alone adorable baby one of the cutest babies <laughs> i've ever seen and i don't even think babies are that cute uh also since we're talking about this kind of shit uh if you're a fan of hannibal shut up <laughs> the tv show yeah the tv show <laughs> i'm not going to explain but uh they're really stupid hey shut up would you <laughs> yeah no they they got mad there's apparently this big argument um online about the fan fiction of mm. i've seen it's the shipper anti-shipper thing yeah 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 i've se- i've seen shannon strucci tweet about this and friend of the show whatever yeah. she thinks shannon, fine. shannon's great but promptly clicked away no interest in Literally whatever this everyone is everyone <laughs> else like ev- ev- shannon is fine and she can talk about it yeah don't shut up shannon uh if you're listening to this not saying shut up everyone, absolutely saying i'm not reading it <laughs> yeah but everyone else needs to shut up about it just because it doesn't matter that much uh it's a show you can write a fan fiction if you want yeah nobody hurt anybody don't worry about it <laughs> Um. Anyway, those things aside, this episode we're going to talk about movies. We're talking about movies, and I want to talk about the thing I watched first. Okay, because we watched part of it together. We watched part of it together, and I feel like I was watching this movie all week because I started it the Thursday after we recorded, uh-huh. and then I watched it in bits and pieces. I never watch movies this way. So the movie I watched is called The Big Chill. Mm. It's directed and written by Lawrence Kasdan um 
who, if you don't remember, wrote Star Wars, like mm-hmm. wrote a lot of good Star Wars movies, and his claim to fame is being a Star Wars guy. Yeah. Also wrote uh, some, I think, a Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, but he also made this movie in 1983 called The Big Chill, um, featuring a lot of actors that you probably have heard, like William Hurt, Jeff Goldblum, Glenn Close, a um, couple other people who I can't remember at the moment. But um, it's a movie about a bunch of kids who went to college together and are now in their 30s. And one of their friends, they haven't seen each other in a long time, but their friend dies, commits suicide. Mm-hmm. And they all go to his funeral in Michigan, where they're all from. And they stay at their friend's house, what their married couple friend's house who um, live there. And then they stay there overnight. And it actually for a couple nights. Um, and you basically get to know all their backstories. Mm-hmm. The first 20 minutes of this movie is a montage. It's like the credits are all of them finding out about his death to heard it through the grapevine, (laughs) which feels like emotionally incongruous. Yeah. um, And a little on the nose. uh, Very on the nose. It's all them like answering the phone and like (laughs) getting dressed for the funeral and stuff. Good Lord. But I have to say, I was was very high watching this movie and the close-up shots... It feels like a 1980s commercial for like every product that they have, mm-hmm. which is just like J and B scotch yeah. and Porsche <laughs> and like pills or whatever. Right. Uh, Smirnoff. Um, <laughs> but it's like all real close just up. It's a commercial for pills, yeah. just broadly speaking. <laughs> well, there is one. He's like driving his Porsche and he dumps out all the pills on the seat and it's like really beautifully photographed pills but in that sort of brought like, to you by johnson and johnson brought to you by pfizer <laughs> um <laughs> in that very grainy like tabletop but soft gauzy sort of like um 80s marketing look yeah yeah, yeah. incredible looking i can't get over how how cool the opening sequence of the movie looks uh in a bad way like you wouldn't like it unless you were a little bit nostalgic for it mm-hmm or had a weird brain and like think it says something about like politics, <laughs> um, which I have bowls of. Um, but anyway, so the movie is basically just a bunch of people, sort of like upper class white people, except for Jeff Goldblum. I mean, he's white, but he's Jewish. Um, and uh, sort of mumbling, but also speaking prosaically. Like it's a play, you know, yeah. it's very play speaky where they're all sort of quick witted, but it's like not, it's not sharp dialogue, you know? Yeah. So I have seen this, but I saw it in college and I don't remember it because I'm pretty sure that I was very high, but I do remember it being like very like mammity. Like it has a sort of like David Mamet sort of sensibility to it where everything is like really quick. It's mammity or it's just not very snappy. Like Mamet you feel strung along mm-hmm. by it. Like you feel there's a propulsion to his dialogue. This movie has a, that kind of dialogue, but it doesn't land on anything. Okay. Like you saw the the part where they're talking about like, why, why would he leave a suicide note? I'm so tired of people like, like everyone's speaking in monologue mm-hmm. rather than dialogue. Okay. Whereas like Mamet is like, what do you think of that? Fuck you. Blah, blah, blah. You know, like there's yeah, like yeah, a, a yeah, real yeah. back and forth all of the time which is very 
you know, scripty and writerly, but I really like it. This was just like, everyone was just like having a sort of high college dorm room thought at people. (laughs) 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 And then, and then people were responding with a different, almost unrelated. Yeah. Uh, monologue. Um, so it's not a very good movie, but what I wanted to talk about is it's very specifically, I think what it ends up being and what was really interesting to me is that it, I've never really seen a Gen X movie about boomers. Okay. Like this is a movie about 30 year olds who were, they all have children. They're all in their thirties. They were all like sixties, like, yeah, we went to college, um, grew up in the 60s and 70s and now are boomers mm-hmm. and they just have nothing in their life. And yeah. there's this weird sort of ennui of all of them sort of realizing and grappling with this idea that their friend killed themselves because he, there was no point in living. And they're all sort of looking at each other as like, do any of us have that? And it's a real darkness it's a very cheesy movie but for me i think looking at it from the perspective from my perspective of like this sort of arc of history is that it's a group of kids coming to terms with believing in the end of history where they're sort of just like well there isn't anything to do we all have kids we all have money and none of us are happy yeah (laughs) um and there's this real strangeness of because Gen X took it on themselves to be like, well, we're not going to be like that. We're in the 90s now and we're just going to make rebelling our ide- our like marketing, our personal brand. And sure, I feel yeah. like Gen X is the first like personal brand generation where millennials took that and be like, we're going to be or my personal brand is going to be uh comics or whatever yeah and and very individualized (laughs) and very like centered on ourselves yeah Yeah. and we have to be even different and weirder which makes it even less important yeah and saying anything but the boomers were the first people who were like well we haven't invented personal brands yet we've got the american dream and it's empty and i and that's just a movie that's what the movie is about it's called it's called the big chill they never say the big chill in any reason. I guess it's just because it's supposed to be like <laughs> them chilling, I guess. That would be a great like title drop in the movie. But no, like, I was going to say like that would be a great like uh uh like account to have on um letterboxd is like do they say the name of the movie in the movie <laughs> and it's all just like your reviews are all just yes no no <laughs> a novelty account big chill no <laughs> saving private ryan no <laughs> you would uh city of lost children no fifth element yes fifth element yes glenn gary glenn ross maybe (laughs) sort of (laughs) they say a lot of those words i'm not sure if they say in that order but anyway it's it's very fascinating because they're all kind of successful in their own way one is like an actor on television he's in like a miami vice type show everyone recognizes him um they have children they have a everyone has a big house Mm -hmm. um jeff goldblum is like 
a famous writer in New York and can has like all these connections and they're just fucking miserable. They have nothing to live for. They don't know what to do. They have no, and they sort of realize in the movie that like what they want is connection community. Yeah. And they're all kind of afraid to ask for it. And they're all trying to find it in their own way. They're all wanting to fuck each other because it's all getting back to high school. And they're like, what? I think they kind of come to this conclusion that like what Alex didn't have was community like friends right um and they're like realizing they don't either and that's why the last line of the movie is jeff goldblum being like we're actually not leaving we're gonna stay and live in your house and <laughs> kind of as a joke but that's that's the end yeah. and it's like are they gonna all live in the house <laughs> are they gonna start a commune basically um which is sort of the was the promise I think of the sixties, right? That you could like live outside of right, this yeah. machine and like be friends and like have a commune and stuff. And like the seventies, the crisis of the seventies happens and they're just sort of like, well, I guess I'll just, I have children. So I guess I'll die now. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, it's, it's such a depressing thing. Like the place that I grew up. So like I grew up in a place called Glen Cove, which is like a little city. And then there's like outlying little, suburb towns around it right and one of them is called seacliff and seacliff has a famous thing about it which is that it's it's got sort of like a hippie reputation Mm -hmm. and it's all these boomers who were like summer of love boomers yeah like these people yeah who who eventually you know settled down and it like one of the most depressing things growing up was like knowing these people because they're all so rich and they're all (laughs) doing so well yeah but they're all just like fucking miserable and they're all just these people who are just like yeah man i fucking was at like you know i i was i i like occupied my my college uh administrator's office to like you know uh make them accept more black students or whatever and now i sell halloween costumes in long island (laughs) i have a distribution company that uh that distributes halloween costumes throughout long island and they want to put a bullet in their head, I'm yeah. sure. And they're like, and I, I eat granola. And that's how <laughs> yeah. I stay connected to that part of myself. <laughs> yeah. I eat whole grain rice. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's 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 wild because it's a perspective you don't really see that often. Again, don't rush out and see this movie unless you're really interested in like the arc of history culturally from this point to now. Yeah. Um, because it's boring and their problems are boring but i think that's the point of the movie and i think it's weird because i read some of the reviews of it like from the time and people were like what is this movie trying to say like Mm -hmm. it's very very kind of depressing um because it doesn't seem to have any perspective um and i'm not sure if kazan is trying to say any of this stuff but i think it really is a good encapsulation of because because slacker is the movie we we think of of like a generation being like this sucks yeah and it's true generation x was the first generation to just do that of just like this all fucking blows we don't want this we want to do something else no idea what they wanted apparently um i'm sure there was a couple people but like as like their output wasn't like we want the end of capitalism it was just like something more real, man, you know? And um, I feel like this is a movie from that perspective, but for the generation before. Yeah. Um, who got to experience this sense that something was going to change and then nothing did. 
Um, and I thought it was really fascinating for that reason. Um, again, not a great movie, very boring. Um, but for whatever reason, it tickled something in my mind. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed it. Honestly, I love having my mind tickled, dude. You gotta get your mind. Tickled. You gotta get your mind tickled. <laughs> it's a big part of. It's a big part of being a movie critic. It's right. You get your mind tickled all the time. <laughs> what uh, tickled your little mind <laughs> this week, Jeremy? Well, thank you for asking. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so interestingly enough, it is actually a very good companion to this conversation. I watched the HBO documentary uh, about Woodstock 99. Oh, my God. This is great because what we're going to talk about is all about this. Yeah. The movie we watched this week. Uh, <laughs> oof. How was Woodstock 99? So um, this has been kind of like a zeitgeisty sort of a thing, I feel like. people yeah. People have been catching this documentary and talking about it a lot. Um, very interesting. I think, well, first of all, just revisiting a lot of that stuff is really fun. Um, you mean new metal, new metal. I mean, I always love new metal. Like I'll, I'll just throw on corn just casually. I really enjoy corn. Yeah. This is a new metal pro new metal podcast. Honestly, me, I haven't really talked about this much. I'm not, I'm not out of the closet about it, but I'm a butt rock fan. Okay. Like I grew up in the South. Well, after my teenage years, we're all in the South. Right. Um, so I w- was driving around, you know, being driven around in trucks, listening to Creed and Seether and, sure, sure, sure. um, three doors down. Like, I like a lot of that stuff still. I'll throw on all that stuff now. Mm-hmm. Um, so corn, obviously I was a mall goth, uh, corn system of down Ramstein. Uh, I never liked Limp Bizkit, but Lincoln park. Well, so Limp Bizkit are the big, they're the big act of the Woodstock 99 story. Yeah. Right. But so, they're so a little too mean for me I yeah don't know. well so, so <laughs> seemed like assholes <laughs> so the the um the they're kind of like playing a few different angles on this documentary right okay. is like the main story is like this was a disaster right really because so, it rained and stuff no no no. woodstock 94 it rained oh woodstock 99 ended in a riot it did <laughs> yeah so so it 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 kind of like the the short cliff notes of it are that it was really poorly planned. Mm-hmm. They did it on like the tarmac of an abandoned um, Air Force base. Mm, so like land. it was like, <laughs> um, like beating down sun onto asphalt, and like everybody's just like overheating constantly. People are like, getting <laughs> hypothermia from being overheated, which I didn't think could happen, but it apparently can. That's uh, that's usually people think of when it's cold, right? Yeah, yeah. So they didn't uh, provide enough water for people um they had these like drinking fountains that people could drink out of but like people were like bathing in them so it was like getting spoiled very rapidly <laughs> oh, no. and like all of the porta potties weren't getting like renewed fast enough so they were like overflowing and uh-huh. there was just like raw sewage everywhere so people are getting sick and like it just is like it's it's a disaster right it's three days it's three days and that's all happening within the first day <laughs> And so, like, <laughs> by the third day, it's, like, very clearly just, like, falling apart. People are miserable. People are just pissed off. Yeah. I never I never watched that movie, the Woodstock movie with, like, Dimitri Martin or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, isn't the story of the original Woodstock very similar? Yes. Like, it was it's just, extremely like, similar. It's yeah. shitty land that you can't build anything on. It's just always swampy yep. and shitty. And 
it's a bad place to have a festival right yeah and they had to like (laughs) they had like military helicopters come in to like bring like supplies to them because they like ran out of stuff and whatever and like this anarchist group like blew up some of the food stalls because they were too expensive and whatever what yeah um but in any event so the woodstock 99 (laughs) story is that it it just goes off the rails really rapidly and then by the end of it like people are so pissed off and upset and and just sick and tired of it mm-hmm. and and amped up from all the new metal that they just literally tear the fucking place apart and like the wow. end of it is just like they literally just like tear down all of the like they're like knocking over the big pa <laughs> towers setting them on fire there's huge bonfires everywhere yeah like they're like looting all of the food things and whatever they cause like millions of dollars in damage to awesome. the point where like at the end of it <laughs> like the last title card says like the city of rome new york only made like i think all told they made like two hundred thousand dollars off of it <laughs> After all the damages are accounted for. <laughs> well, he's like, we're in the black. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't sneeze at that. Um, but it's, it's an interesting documentary because they're like playing that angle for the most part. But then they're that also... That it was pandemonium. That was pandemonium and a complete mess. But they're also like, they're not really sure if they're blaming the organizers or if they're blaming the music. They're like constantly kind of going back and forth on this. And they're the like... The music. They're like, you know, like... <laughs> rage against or not rage against the machine um uh although rage does play uh limp biscuit the big story of it is that like you know and and this was like from day one this is from like when it happened i remember this being the story was that limp biscuit goes out and they get everybody super amped up and fred durst is like all right guys like this is the fucking this is the one they play break stuff and it's just one of those days yeah and there's the middle part where it's like you know like uh uh i feel like shit you better keep your distance because right now i'm dangerous <laughs> <laughs> and then it like comes back in with this like give me something to break and it's like this huge fucking beat there and so at the point that that happens is when everybody starts like ripping all of the plywood off of all these towers and whatever and yeah. like they're like crowd surfing on the plywood and shit and it just like looks completely nuts and then it makes all these big piles of plywood that the next day there's like a peace ceremony where they like hand out candles to everybody and the people use the candles to set fires and these big bonfires <laughs> happen right what, what, what band was that that was during uh, red hot chili peppers <laughs> and they play as their encore they play um jimmy hendrix uh let me stand next to your fire <laughs> Which fucking rules, by the way. That's awesome. That's such a sick move. <laughs> and the footage is crazy. It's just like flea naked, just dancing as they're playing. Let me stand next to your fire's dick, just flapping <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> the Chili Peppers are crazy because they had a, like their bit for like most of the 90s was just like assaulting women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they were just like in the middle of interviews, just like fingering the interviewer and yeah. being like what the fuck are you doing unbelievably <laughs> disgusting bands but uh awesome records but so, Couple, but so two, on the, two or three awesome two or three records. very good records mm-hmm. so on but so on this movie right it's like they kind of like toe the line back and forth where they're like i don't know maybe like limp biscuit could have probably not done this <laughs> but then also fuck like that fuck that like you know <laughs> these guys could have probably organized this festival better, but they're, but the problem is that they like, they're couching it all in this like modern wokeness where they're like, 
this all is like an expression of like white male rage of the 90s right? oh really and like limp biscuit <laughs> is this expression this you know balled up fist that they literally i mean this one guy this fucking drove me nuts there's this one guy who they keep throwing it back to to like talk about like race and whiteness and blackness and whatever and it's mm. this black music journalist who used to work for mtv news and what's his name i don't remember his name okay but I know him because I know him from the fucking R. Kelly documentary. He's the one who's just like, who's like, yeah, man, when R. Kelly like married that child and whatever. And like, we like all were like, weird. And you're (laughs) like, no, you don't just get to ha ha weird that you guys should have known. (laughs) You should have separate. um, You are literally the people who are supposed to be like throwing up red flags about stuff like this. You're a music (laughs) journalist. (laughs) And now he's here being like, you know, like DMX, when he goes out, like, he's got a song that, like, has the N-word as, like, a call and response. And, like, it's amazing footage, by the way. DMX absolutely fucking oh, one kills. Of the, a king, yeah. Absolute king. Owns the stage. Owns this whole fucking festival. He's, like, daytime the first day. And he's got a song that has the N-word as a call and response. And he's got this huge crowd of, like, white t- fucking Mostly, college kids. Assume, yeah. Uh, just saying the N-word back at him. And he just is, like, laughing and, like, just doing it back and forth with them. And this dude is like, but I wonder, like, how did, how did like, everybody else in the crowd feel? And you're like... What? I don't know, man. Who's but like, everybody else? You mean like the black people? Yeah, who are there? and like, why is it, like, <laughs> why is it on the crowd? Why is it not on DMX? And, like, what you're the guy from the r kelly document like <laughs> i don't know in any event uh it because of the that fact that is a very funny thing to do as dmx it's very funny <laughs> but but like as the because of the fact that they've like set it up this way where it's like this is they, they literally tie it to now they're like they're like it's this expression of white male angst that like you'd see today in like a reddit Christ forum Church. or like <laughs> yeah, yeah they like they, they may as well just say Christchurch, but they say like a reddit forum or like a discord or like a, a chant or whatever who cares that's posting yeah it's not the same but but like they they literally say like they're they're more or less saying you know new metal led to the alt-right and <laughs> And because of the fact that, because of the fact that they are they are framing this as like white male rage mm-hmm. when they get to the part where Limp Bizkit tears the place down they can't back their way out of that now they've already like set it up so much that they can't be like you know this is on the organizers of this event so they have to kind of be like, hey, it's kind of everybody's fault a little bit, you know. <laughs> and like they have like Moby there to be like, you know, new metal was taking like the worst parts of metal and the worst parts of hip hop and putting it together. And you're like, you pretended to fuck Natalie Portman, you freak. <laughs> <laughs> Moby, Moby, fucking shut can shut up. Did you ever listen to that heavyweights episode Mm-mm. where like it's the, it's it's so embarrassing the story do you know heavyweights no it's this guy who worked for npr and like has this show where it's basically him forcing people into awkward situations okay of and i it's under the guise of like we're gonna like really get at like the heavy things in life and have the conversations that you don't want to have but should have basically Mm -hmm. and it's this guy who gave moby like a box set of southern black 
uh, gospel songs that he then took and chopped up and made play out of. Like that okay. shit is all Southern black gospel songs with beats on them, you know, um, which is why it's cool. It's a, I'm not going to lie and say play isn't a cool record. It's a cool record. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, launched his career and basically it's the, maybe one of the only things he ever did. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and this guy is like, you should have given me a little credit for giving you that record, <laughs> that like box set of record, you know, it's the whole thing. Yeah. Everything on, everything on play samples that record. And he like basically gets to Moby's house and is just like, I just think it would have been nice if uh, you would have like thanked me or like, you know, maybe give me a little money for, you know, that. And he's like, Moby's just like, no, you don't deserve any of it. You didn't do anything. You just lent me a record. That's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i can, like I can see both sides i can of this. see both sides but none of them brings up like you just made a bazillion dollars off of southern black gospel music and yeah like, that you know? would be the i thought that was where this was going no, they also just don't mention it it's just wow. like not even okay. in the episode as far as i recall that's interesting um so he also moby also moby is famously a fucking liar a big liar because he lied about the natalie portman thing but that's not even the thing that i knew him for being famous for lying about is he's pretended to be a founding member of the 80s hardcore band flipper for fucking ever what it's the weirdest he just like he was interviewed in like an in in a documentary about 80s hardcore and he was like yeah you know i was the original bassist of flipper and then all these guys in flipper are like what the fuck who are you (laughs) who are you (laughs) I don't know. I mean, who would check it, I guess? Yeah. Like, who's Flipper? But, like... Exactly. They're not one of the bigger 80s hardcore bands, but I think he just wanted to, like, seem like he was more involved in 80s hardcore than he was. Than just, like, going to some shows yeah, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. That would be... That's an insane lie. Because you could just check. You mm-hmm. could just call someone who was in Flipper. Like, did you know Moby? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's stupid. Anyway, but I think what you're saying is that Woodstock 99 is, like, Woodstock 99 and that stuff that sort of like new metal you know what would you say is that Gen X yeah like, yeah it's the end of Gen X the end of Gen X like sort of is like the pinnacle of Gen X rage right where mm-hmm. it's just like I think justified rage against the machine that they have no i like culturally nowhere to direct yeah so this is another funny thing about this documentary is that like they're constantly bemoaning this point of like the early 90s was like it was like so much more like safer it was political (laughs) like you know nirvana like kurt you know kurt's in a dress you know like that's political that's political not that he was a marxist well but like (laughs) but they're saying like these things had perspective and these things were like pushing things into like new directions and like disagree you know it was like getting more diverse and whatever like the smashing pumpkins had a girl bassist you know like this sort of stuff and then they're like and now it's like just it's nothing but just like anger and like white male rage and like the women are relegated to like the girls gone wild video and whatever and like but what's crazy is that they're like saying this as they're like playing over footage that like occasionally will cut to rage against the machine who were a headlining act (laughs) at woodstock 99 where they burned an american flag (laughs) they have no perspective yeah it's well that's the thing it's like there's this sort of i mean What's interesting now is that the end of the millennial generation where we are now has gotten because of not because of anything 
you know, the generation did, but because of where, but what the country did, Mm. um, has just like forced itself into class consciousness. Right. And now the reaction against that is trying to lie and say, (laughs) there was never any political consciousness. And what politics is now is, are you queer or not? Mm Mm-hmm. And are you non-white or not? And just mix up everybody. And it seems like there's a very specific contradiction now between like looking back at the past and being like, the point was always to get to a place where you ask for people's pronouns. And that was the arc of history. Right. <laughs> and, and look at this reactionary movement of Limp Biscuit yeah. <laughs> against getting to that place where we are now. Yeah, Fred Durst doesn't ask for pronouns. No. <laughs> he is not woke. <laughs> he probably is misogynist. Yeah. That's <laughs> insane. Like, it doesn't make sense for a single second if you think about it. Yeah. But it's like, that's the perspective you have to look at all of history with now. That's interesting. I wonder in like 20 years or whatever, like looking back at the end of the millennial generation, mm-hmm. if like, what's our version of like the white male rage going to be? Is it going to be like... Occupy? No, 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 no. Like, what I mean is like the thing that will be like the prevalent distinct thing of like how like the gen xers are like the rebellious generation and like their rebellion peaked with this like new metal rage you know like i wonder what our thing is going to be is it going to be like because i feel like the the pop culture of like the late millennial generation is like so extremely on pills that i kind of (laughs) wonder if it's going to be that like the end of it is going to be like people are going to be like, yeah, that was the generation that was just like fucked up and just like gone. (laughs) I think it's the generation that demanded that everything be uh, diverse and like put, put, uh, you know, identity as like its main thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I mean, obviously I don't agree with it, but that's, I think the main cultural force of like everyone who wanted to be a fucking Mike.com writer is like a Buzzfeed writer or cracked, you know, like that whole, those decades all led up to this. Like you can look back from something awful from the early two thousands to now the past 20 years, Mm -hmm. like is culturally leading people or just like sort of a generation at war with itself. Right. Of like, trying to figure out how to make things more equitable in every way except for economically yeah you know Uh um and then right now we're at this point where it feels like everyone in the country understands what has to change is economics and like giving people health care and and like caring for the poor and just everyone who's in charge of writing about things is they're trying to ignore that fact <laughs> yeah um so i think that'll be our legacy because <laughs> the next 20 years are going to be zoomers right the 20s all of the 20s in the four to the 40s is going to be like whatever they do which is going to be who knows who knows who could say more pills even <laughs> worse pill. i mean i think we're starting with like a bleak nihilism mm-hmm. like the young kids today see nothing on the horizon in in not in a boomer in sort of a like a inverted boomer way of like 
oh, there's this option here, which is pretend to be virtuous or be proud of being an ass, an evil person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's just like kids' minds are just fried by that and they just want to like do drugs, you know, like most kids, but like it's opium, <laughs> you know, it's lean and shit. Yeah. Um, and they just don't want to have anything to do with it. So I don't know that where that, what that nihilism will turn into. Um, cause there's just the sense of like, you can't really do anything. Right. Um, you're just like stuck, but they're younger and they're realizing that sooner. Um, yeah, that is an interesting thing. Yeah. Is that people are starting to realize it earlier in life. Like yeah. it's, there are so many more like 16 year olds today who would identify as anti-capitalist than there were when we were ever. 16. Ever, like ever, ever, when, ever. I, when I was 16, I would have been like the only person I knew. Yep. Maybe I actually knew one other person who was my age who mm-hmm. was who would have called himself an anti-capitalist or who even had a perspective on or capitalism. Or even had, knew what that word was yeah. and like didn't think you were a freak for or like a nerd for Yeah, there would have been a third like person who was like a hardcore libertarian guy who loved capitalism. That would mm-hmm. have been my third guy. Yeah. But otherwise, it like the idea of like a consciousness around that idea is just like right. and unheard I think, of. I think there's a lot of people who kind of, especially now because we've had the past four years of like Chapo and like this sort of like podcast thing happening that almost cringe at the idea that class, like the concept of class consciousness has arisen. Mm-hmm. But it absolutely has. There's no, I mean, I'm not saying that anything like good has come of it yet, but like... <laughs> The vast majority of kids look at capitalism and are like, no, yeah, not interested. And I think that's resulting in because they look at millennials attempts, the Occupy stuff, um, the DSA stuff um, at at being against it. And it it just also feels a little bit like a dead end, um, which isn't wrong. And um, so I think that is going to either become something even darker or be the final like pop of the bubble. Yeah. Um, is how I think it's going to be. Um, so this week we are still talking about, we're a cultural criticism podcast yeah. now. Um, because Jeremy suggested <laughs> we fucking watch rent. <laughs> uh, and rent is a movie that is based off of a musical uh from and the and they made this movie in 2005 it's directed the musical by, is from 95 no, right the musical is from 95 so this was a 10 year anniversary i do remember that yeah it was a 10 year wow okay so this is a gen x movie mm-hmm. we've talked about the end of gen x we've talked about boomers now we're going to talk about right smack dab in the middle of gen x yeah um seen through the eyes of a boomer, I think, or maybe Chris Columbus is. <laughs> well, Chris Columbus is a boomer, yes, and and Jonathan Larson, who wrote the show, is is Gen X. Okay, and so this is a movie that, boy, does it feel like it's from 1995. Yeah. Um, but it's a movie from 2005, and it's about 85 or 89. Oh right, God. it's it takes place from 89 to 90. Yeah. So right at the beginning, the Gen Xy stuff was happening yeah um and it's it's so fascinating um 
yeah, so this is a movie from from 2005. It has a lot of time involved in it. So let's let's just like quick quick plot. Go ahead. Uh, here is that we are in New York City, 1989. 1989. We are in the like peak of of the AIDS epidemic. It's Christmas Eve. It's almost it's, the 90s. It's Christmas Eve, 1989, and uh, we are with Mark. Is our main protagonist character? He's a filmmaker. Uh, and I guess his yeah, I guess <laughs> and and his roommate um, Roger. Roger who is a musician and uh, we are with them and they are uh, worried about their their landlord Benny who uh, is charging them rent he wants back rent for the past year uh, which he had initially told them they were cool with but now he's reneged that and he's like actually you need to pay me back and additionally you need to start paying rent going forward um, All right so that's their main driving thing at the beginning of the movie and and throughout the movie it kind of comes back a few times but oddly enough it's not really that pronounced of a plot point for being called rent yes Uh. that is a big issue i have with the movie is that it seems that very early on in the movie all right let me just say this uh I had a lot of trouble following this movie. I Mm -hmm. didn't have the subtitles on most of what most of the story is told through montage and singing. Yes. Um, so there'll be like cutaways to like someone crying and then a flash of a paper or something. And that's like a big plot point. Yeah. You didn't actually. So I'll say one of the biggest criticisms I have of this movie is that if you haven't seen the musical or listened to the actual like original soundtrack, you have no fucking clue what's happening because they really like they they drop plot points they like break stuff up in weird ways and, okay and such that like you couldn't possibly understand what's happening okay. in this well, story I'm unless be, you knew i'm just gonna warn you i'm gonna be very harsh on this movie <laughs> and the concept of that's rent. fine uh, that's fine I, there's a lot to critique here but <laughs> so because so, this is my first interaction with it I, yeah. i've never even heard a song from this I had heard... You'd heard Seasons of Love for sure. I don't know what that is. I heard <laughs> the Numbers song. Yeah, that's the, the one. The 685,700 yeah. minutes. Yep. Oh, that's, that's the, the song. Yeah. Okay. Seasons um, of Love. <laughs> I can't keep that number in my mind. I don't know what it is. It's fine. Uh, Nobody knows it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they don't even know it. They make it up every time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, that's all I knew. So, so going forward in the plot. So, our main characters are, are Mark and Roger and uh which is funny which is very funny because they're the least interesting characters and you barely see them their their main plots are (laughs) roger is uh, a heroin addict who has aids and he is um trying to stay clean but there's a chick downstairs named mimi who is a current heroin addict and also has aids and she's trying to be like hey why don't you fuck me? And right. Roger's yeah, like, yeah. no, never. I will never I gotta fuck. Write one song. <laughs> I've got to write a song. Um, leave me alone. And she's like, no, no, you need to have sex with me and hang out. And he's like, fine, I will. And then they, they do fuck, right? I guess maybe. I don't know. Uh, and then they, they get together and break up a few times. And then Mark has an ex-girlfriend, Maureen, who is currently dating uh, Joanne and there's kind of like a rub, love triangle happening between them uh, that's completely uninteresting and you don't give a shit about it ever. Wait, which, which characters? Oh, my God. The lesbians. Yeah, the lesbians Awful. and Mark as their kind of like third who's like kind of involved peripherally. Right. Adina Menzel is this girl who's insanely annoying that they're both in love with for some yeah. reason. And who's not hot at all, but they treat her <laughs> like she's insanely hot. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, she has that like scrunchy, you know, look, no shade to her, Adina Menzel. She seems like a very talented actress, but she's not like a supermodel or anything. Yeah, exactly. She has like a kind of annoying, like, I mean, this is a dated reference already, but sounds like the kind of person you'd call Becky. You yes. know what I mean? She's like an annoying, she's extremely, like, soccer she's, mom She's lady. very jappy. She look, she's like a very, like, Jewish American princess, Jewish American princess yeah. not the other one. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, so, so then she's a, a performance artist, which is whew, real bad, real rough. Yeah, um, does not does not work in this the, at it's all. The early nineties, and it's it. I will say, performance art is the highest return and the most risk. Yeah, it is almost all performance <laughs> art is absolute dog shit, <laughs> uninteresting, terrible, bad. Don't ever watch it. But my favorite artists are also performance artists. Yeah, so. In this movie, you've got the worst of the worst. The worst, version. absolute worst. So okay, so so and then the, and then the, the, well, Joanne is a lawyer. Yes, uh, and then Mark is, of course, a filmmaker. Right, and <laughs> she left him for Joanne. Yes, and, and that's f- very funny to everybody. Right, it's funny to everybody because people are like, "What are you gay somehow?" <laughs> <laughs> Despite the fact that everybody in this movie is gay. <laughs> But he's not. <laughs> but he's not. He's not. He just has a girlfriend who's now gay yes. or bi or whatever. But like all of their friends are gay. They know lots of gay people. It's not like shocking Even that somebody's a lesbian. Even the guy who fucks the drag queen is like, <laughs> you're gay. <laughs> so like, then, so, so are you. But you're actually yeah, but you're gay. Actually gay. <laughs> but so that brings us to our third, our third set of people, and uh, that is uh, Tom and Angel, who are the only compelling characters. <laughs> they have the only interesting story <laughs> right so tom collins is a guy who always says his name as though he thinks it's funny but is annoyed by that fact yes he's like tom collins yeah. and everyone's like what does that mean is that something <laughs> it's a cocktail <laughs> right I, I i realized that later but it wasn't even like i was like oh is that like a drink i think <laughs> i don't know so tom tom uh at the beginning of the movie has just gotten home from uh he was at mit where he got expelled for <laughs> blowing up a computer system <laughs> in re- in fake life right like isn't it like in vr he, no like- he so they don't make it very clear in in the movie but oh in the musical God. it is extremely clear that what he did was he wired a virtual reality machine to literally explode <laughs> Because he is an anarchist. Oh, okay. So the story is that he blows up a virtual reality machine as like... Anarchists love blowing shit up. They love blowing shit up. (laughs) Uh, So he wires the thing to explode as a a protest against government inaction on AIDS. And then at the end, he wires an ATM to... um, Give free money. To give free money, which is a very cool thing. (laughs) If you know the password, which is Angel... You get free money, which Very is the cool. only cool thing in the whole movie. Um, <laughs> uh, and so he uh, meets this. He uh, meets Angel after he gets his ass beat by some burglar guys. Right. Angel is a guy who's a, a drag queen. Drag queen who plays bucket drums on the street. For money. For money. And also kills a dog for some reason. Yeah. For money, I think. Um, yeah it's like a so there's certain stuff in this so the the music this is another timeline to add to this but the musical is based on an opera which takes place during yeah which i've seen which i guess takes place during like the french revolution or something like that um and so angel's analog in la boheme kills a parrot oh yeah and so i guess this is like a a callback yeah but that. that means something in the opera 
Like there's a person, like it has effects. Yeah. And this doesn't. <laughs> Again, it, it like kind of does in the musical, okay. but not really. Okay. It's it's kind of a minor it's just plot a, point. A nod to the thing. Yeah. To the to the original. It opera. like it gets um it gets Benny to do something. I don't remember what, but there's some there's something that he's like the not. Landlord. Yeah, there's something he's because it's his dog. And so, or it's his wife's dog. Right. And it's like... He goes to a funeral. He go, like, he has to, like, be somewhere for some reason. And so, it, it like, plot-wise, it, like, moves something somewhere. Sure. I just don't remember what. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because, like I said before, this movie's very hard to follow. Yeah. Um, it is constantly interrupting itself to play the worst music of all time. It's so bad. It's, the music is the music is already really cringy in the real show. It's so much worse in the movie. Like they really like juice up all the sound in like the worst ways. <laughs> it, yeah, I was really searching for like what it sounds like, <laughs> and I, I I could barely land on anything that like it, it's not even. It sounds like two thousand five. It sounds like American Idiot. It it's sounds, like it's produced it's like American Idiot. That. It's way worse than that. It sounds like bare naked ladies playing American Idiot. Sure, but like, what I mean is like the production, <laughs> the the crispness and like the yeah. the like insanity of the low end of that sound. Uh-huh. Is everything like, has it's like very like 2005 rock. Everything has like really reverby like snare rim shots. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's so fucking annoying. Um there's one good song, I'll say. And we'll start up top with the things I liked about the movie. Okay. Which is there's a song where they're all at the rehab or like. um, The Will I Lose My Dignity. Loved that song. Yeah. Good song. Very powerful. No reason. I didn't care about a single one of these characters. Well, you don't even know them. I don't know them. They're just a support group. Yeah. Yeah. Most. Well, you know uh, Tom. Mm -hmm. And I think Angel is there. Yeah. Angel's there. And isn't. uh, Mark Mark is in the background filming this. Yeah. (laughs) He's there and singing, yeah. um, but he's not doesn't have AIDS yeah. or a heroin a problem. Mark has nothing. He has literally he's nothing to do in the whole show. It's the same thing in the in the in the show too. He's right, and uh, he's there singing. But that song, beautiful song, uh, really liked it. There's another really beautiful song that got cut from the movie, right? Um, but it's after Angel's funeral. So there's like the song where the, they're like at Angel's, they're burying yeah. Angel. And like they're all just like fighting with each other and whatever, and then Tom like gets between them. He's like, "Guys, fucking stop it, <laughs> would you <Yeah>. please?" <laughs> There's another song that happens right after that one. Like it starts with him saying, "Stop it." Yeah, so that song happens, and that song's like okay, but it's whatever. And there's a song that happens right after that in the show where uh, Mark and Roger kind of like walk off alone together, and Roger tells him like, "Hey, I'm fucking out of here." I'm like going that to came out of fucking nowhere. Yeah, I was like, I'm going where out to Santa Fe. What? So he there's a song where he tells him, like, I'm going to Santa Fe, I'm fucking done here. And Mark's being like Mark's like, You're a fucking coward. You're fucking mm. running away from your problems. And that's like the it's the best part of the show because it's when finally somebody's like, What are you in this show for, Mark? Because Roger literally is just like, like, you don't fucking understand any of this you're just the guy who follows us around with a camera you yeah. don't have aids you don't have a heroin problem you don't have anything <laughs> like yeah. you're just and and mark has this like really petulant line where he's just like you know he's like i've documented it because i'm the one who's going to survive somebody has to tell our story and like rogers is like shut up <laughs> and he just leaves <laughs> and that's a good song <laughs> okay what's that song called santa fe uh i think it's called like halloween or something halloween because it's she 
gets buried on or angel gets buried on oh, halloween okay anyway that wasn't clear um <laughs> what is the dignity song called um, oh, okay. life support maybe okay uh that song is good and um what else did i like about this <laughs> There's a couple of things I noticed this time around watching it that I really enjoyed. All right, why don't you go ahead? And say so what you generally like speaking, it. this movie sucks major dick. Yeah. It's very no, bad. I, well. If we're gonna say that, this is one of the worst movies I've ever fucking seen in my life. I was mad about this. Felt like you were getting back at me for something. I will say, generally speaking, I am much more sympathetic to Rent than most people are. I I think the show is is pretty good. Oh, and there's actually like interesting things explored in it. That said, the movie is like one of the worst adaptations of a work I've ever seen. Okay. It's so god awful. But there are little things that I noticed this time watching it that I was like, "You appreciated." That's really interesting. Like, um, so there's the song where it's Mimi drops her heroin in Roger's apartment, and she's like looking yeah. for it, and like it's all just them like flirting with each other and whatever. She's and trying it, to get him to fuck her. Yeah. yeah, and it's really stupid. And there's a shot that happens right, right at the end of it where she finds the bag of heroin in his back pocket and walks away with it. And you're supposed to, I think you're meant to initially think like, oh, he was hiding it from her. Mm. But then I realized this time watching, I was like, oh no, he was going to get high. (laughs) He took it so that he could get high. Oh, I see. And like generally He like, did steal it though. He did steal it, yeah. He was going to fucking Shoot he was it. gonna relapse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. He's a heroin addict. Yeah. So there's like oh, okay. there's but something that's not something I realized well this time watching it is like it's it's almost a feat that yeah. it's so saccharine. It's almost like it's it's hard to believe how like just like drippy and gooey and like fucking corny this show is for being about like you know we joke heavy that, like, fucking yeah, shit heavy stuff. like we joke that like roger's plot is like i need to write a song yeah but like what he's saying is i'm going to die of aids like yeah. getting aids in or 1989 was a death sentence like Absolutely. you're not going to survive aids in the 80s so he knows i don't have a lot of time left on earth i haven't done shit with my life i've done nothing at all I need to do something. So like, this is the one thing I can do. I'm going to write a song, write a popular song. And you're like, that's a fucking, that's a really heavy thing that you've made extremely cringe. (laughs) (laughs) How did you do it? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's a, it's not, it's not, it's like when you said it that way, I was like, I guess that is the situation they're trying to convey. It's not conveyed to me. No. Like, I didn't even really know who was had AIDS and who didn't. And like, right. just watching it pretty, like, honestly, when I watch movies, especially for the show, but general, but just generally, like, I'm kind of half looking at my phone. I'm a little sure yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's hard to pay attention. I have, I definitely have some sort of attention deficit disorder. But I really tried at this one. Like, it was so confusing that I, like, rewound it a couple times. Like, this movie took me three hours to watch. It's not that long. It's two and a half hours. It's, like, two hours and 15. So, one of the really (laughs) great strengths of the show is it's really good at juggling a few plots. Like, Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's three main stories happening, right? One of them is very dumb, and I don't care about it. Right. But what I mean is, like, it's really good at holding those three stories all at once. So, for example, like, the opening number, Rent, right? 
all of these characters have moments in that song in the show. In the movie, Is Angel it's there? just Mark. <laughs> oh, in the show? Yeah, in the show, oh. everybody, it's an ensemble song. So everybody has a little intro in that song. And you get to know a lot about everybody in that one song. Mm-hmm. But in this, it's just like Mark riding his bike being like, I'm so mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So all of these people are poor, except for maybe Mark. Which uh, he and, seems um, like he might have a, a friend, like a, a family. Yeah, like he he's, go got, back he's got a family to go back to. And um, this is they mentioned that about what's her name to um, Maureen. The sh- the Becky. <laughs> yeah, Maureen, Maureen has money. Edina Menzel. Um, yeah. Roger's family calls, but you don't really get the sense that they're necessarily rich. Mimi's family calls, but you don't really know that they're rich either. Right. And Tom and Tom and Angel seem very poor. Yeah, Tom Tom and Angel are actually like on the cusp of homelessness. Right. So, okay, the movie begins and I'm immediately like, well, this is like lease looks kind of cool. Like mm-hmm. there's just fire everywhere and it's like looks like old New York a little bit. Um people are mad that they have to pay rent in this huge building um it reminded me of like one of the good scenes in les mis mm-hmm. um which i'm not a fan of and the movie is even worse i'd say this movie is a little worse than les mis and that i thought was one of the worst movies i've ever seen <laughs> um and uh but it it has this opening of like um you know they're all i don't even know what's supposed to be on fire like all the eviction notices or whatever yeah i think that's what and, it's supposed uh, to be then they talk to Benny and he's like, listen, I won't make you pay rent. He's like, okay, I won't make you pay rent if you help me get this protest shut down. So these are the stakes of the movie. Yeah, there's like a, there's a tent city somewhere that we never see, but so there's he's a tent gonna city gonna that like, he's going to... Yeah, he's going to like demolish this homeless people, get all the cops to take them out or whatever, and, uh, and, and build a thing for them. Like mm. he's like, you can have like this film studio yeah and cyber studio they call it i don't know what that means (laughs) uh you know you're gonna have internet or whatever or something yeah no that didn't exist yet i don't know what he's talking about but there's these stakes of like this would be good for mark and roger and they have to sort of make this decision yeah of well do we turn on our friend maureen do we turn on our principles um and stop the protest or do we have to pay rent and move out yeah. or whatever and this is by that the way is just dropped it's dropped completely i have no idea what happens it's a in much more movie. pronounced part of the show <laughs> it's not very it's not very pronounced what happens in the, in the show um they uh hang on they um <laughs> no because they're like they're on rents they're they're like so what I was going to say is like this is something that gets a lot of flack about the show generally is okay. this idea of like like oh boo hoo you have to pay rent to live in your building and whatever like That's a terrible criticism. <laughs> yeah. So this is something I wanted to say is like I rewatched um a Lindsay Ellis essay I on watched this. that video. Yeah. I had no idea what she was talking about. I just want to say first and foremost Lindsay Ellis you are on fucking watch. You are a str- <laughs> like she's just like a straight up reactionary most of the time who just occasionally makes a point about like some sort of like identity issue. Uh-huh. Like she otherwise is like she's like siding with the landlord like saying like oh you have to like pay rent to live in a building. <laughs> oh that's her <laughs> criticism? Yeah. Ugh. absolutely ridiculous 
the worst the worst of the theater kid energy of of bread tube with none of the politics it's <laughs> unbelievable that she has like any sort of positive reputation at all <laughs> but all but, right i'm on it fuck you Lindsay ellis come on our show and explain yourself defend yourself <laughs> yeah but in any event like so something that gets a lot of flack is is this idea right and and there's like a historical context that i feel like gets lost now which is that like in the late 80s early 90s like abandonment was such a huge thing in new york like these buildings all over the lower east side were just like long abandoned falling apart yeah and like people like you know mark and roger and and all them would go and squat in these buildings because nobody lives there and nothing's happening with them and then as there's no heat there's no yeah water. you can like, see in the set design there's like a hole in the roof you mm-hmm. know <laughs> like it's not good there um but but so you know as the years go on like the people who do own these buildings you know eventually the, the disrepair gets to a point where it's no longer worth it for them to pay the taxes on the building and so they go and they burn it down for the insurance money right of course and so in order to combat that the city started selling or started buying these buildings from the landlords, you know, cash and then unloading them onto new people. Right. And so there's this whole thing that started happening where like all these squatters, like, um, like ABC, no Rio famously, absolutely, uh, C squat, like all these famous New York city squats all own the building now because they bought it from the city for literally like five, 10, $15. Like you're talking about like <laughs> no money, yeah, literally no money. Like people were buying buildings for like pennies on the dollar. And so the, the context of like Benny owning this building, cause they, they reference it in the song. They're like, yeah. you used to live here. You used to be our roommate. We used to be friends. Now you own the building and you like, you know, hang out with your fucking rich wife's friends and whatever. Right. Benny bought the building for nothing. Like he's not a fucking like <laughs> he's not a rise and grind sigma male. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he he bought it for a couple of bucks and now he's like, I'm gonna fucking tear this shit down. Right. Or and I want money from you. Yeah. For no reason. For I've no done reason. nothing. I've yeah. not fixed a single thing. Nothing. Nothing. Um, uh, which is like look, there's a lot of problems with this movie. The idea that they don't want to pay rent is not one of them. Yeah. That is the most accessible and understandable <laughs> thing because rent is theft. Yes. That's it's it's an absurd idea that anyone should have to pay to live somewhere, uh, especially to somebody who quote unquote owns it yeah. <laughs> for no reason. In a, in a just like the most like peripheral backwards ass way. So so the story in the show is that they, you know, that Benny wants the rent from them. And they um, they go through a series of different like sort of like little moments where like he locks them out at some point, and they show this in the movie that they padlock the door. He oh, like yeah, shuts off the electricity to the like building. Yeah. Um, okay. And then at the end, it's like he just kind of like is so he's so upset about Mimi that I think he just like lets them keep living there or something like that. I don't remember really. He like but, knew her or something. Yeah, they used to they used to date. I guess. Oh um okay tay diggs was originally that guy right he was in in the original 1995 cast yeah wow which is interesting because i also noticed this time i was like he definitely was supposed to be white like they definitely wrote that character to be white there's no way that that was intentionally a black character (laughs) i like that it's a it's he's 
he's a black character and he's one of, you know, I like that he's sort of like, oh, I was poor, but now I'm in this position to take advantage of you and I'm going to because that's how culture works. Like, that's right. how our system works. That's the, one of the best parts of the movie for yes, me. But the way that they talk to him and the way that, like, the lines are written around him, I'm like, he's supposed to be white. A hundred percent. They call him, like, Benjamin whatever the third. Like, I'm right. like, there's no way that he wrote that with a black character in mind. Yeah, they just were like, colorblind casting. Yeah, or like, Tay Diggs just, like, probably did such a good ass job at the fucking probably the audition that mm-hmm. they were like well i guess he's a black guy okay <laughs> who cares Tay Diggs is so but talented i think it does make a lot of sense that it's not especially in new york in the late 80s early 90s like there just weren't a lot of white people around there weren't a lot of like white people around but it was like it, it it's this issue was not simply a race issue like it was intensely class-based um and you know obviously in america it's very difficult to separate those things and you really don't need to or shouldn't but like the idea that black people can be the oppressors in this situation is important to recognize yeah Uh, and i did like that they made that decision whether it was (laughs) accidental or not um but the, my biggest problem with the movie is we're talking about literally the first 10 minutes of the movie and then it's basically never addressed again. Yeah. You spend the rest of the two hours dealing with Tom Collins and Angel loving each other, both being gay and dying of AIDS. Tom doesn't die. Angel dies. Um, and then this terrible fucking love triangle between mark and and maureen it's and so stupid Joanne. you don't care at all at least in the show as least as i've seen it and i've i've heard that like different casts will do this different ways but like the show makes them to be ridiculous like you're not supposed to like them you're supposed to think that mark is kind of a bitch and you're supposed to think that maureen's performance art sucks ass and Good. and joanne is the I only mean, that- cool one because joanne's the one who's just like hey i know the law around squatting <laughs> That kind of came through a little. Like, it's very clear that Joanne's supposed to be goofy, mm-hmm. but it, like, it it had the crowd react like she was saying something profound. That's what I was going to so say, is, like, like the, the crowd reaction is too, is too good yeah, in this movie. Yeah, it's too good. And, um... And they don't do a good job with Mark when he gets the job with Buzzline because like it's supposed to be that he's like he's supposed to be making shit like we watched with uh, the killing of America. He's supposed to be making like sleazy bullshit. Yeah, yeah. That's not clear. That he feels really sick making. (laughs) But he's just like working. Yeah, he just is like like, loading boxes. (laughs) And it feels like that's one of one of the parts that I was like really rolling my eyes and being like, this guy's plight is they have to get a job. (laughs) Like, come on, like give me something to chew on here (laughs) yeah i mean it's like we all have to get jobs like have you just been not working because it doesn't it seems like none of them actually have a job and i get it because if you're a heroin addict like it's very difficult but like mark has nothing to do yeah it's like have a day gig man like i I can't empathize with you we're not even trying so the other thing i was gonna say is like so there's like a lot of alterations to the music in this you know like i was saying like they they drop they drop people's parts all over the place because they don't like Chris Columbus does not trust himself to like juggle all these different plot lines all at once. Like almost every song has other people in it aside from who's singing it. Right. Like every yeah. song will have like little asides that like will be like, hey, by the way, over here, here's what Tom and Angel are up to. And oh, they're yeah. in the song for a second. And then we're back over with Mark. And like, um. but the other thing that's interesting is like almost the whole show is sung. There's no spoken dialogue for right. the most part. And 
they turn a lot of that into the spoken dialogue of the movie. Yeah, which doesn't and so work. It just feels so weird. Because they're like rhyming sometimes. Yeah. And like, and like just talking in weird ways that people don't talk. Mm-hmm. It just sucks ass. It sucks real bad. Especially in, and then even when it's in the music, it feels really awkward. Like um, the scene in which Mimi, Rosario Dawson's character, first meets Roger, there's a lot of like, um, I look like this thing. I like, yeah, I, yeah, you yeah. know, I look like this. You think I look familiar? You think you want to fuck me or whatever? Like it feels so stilted and awkward. And it's like listening to it feels like it feels like someone doing laurie anderson poorly or something you know yeah, like yeah, yeah. talking but not singing uh to very stilted music as worth noting everybody in this movie is so old no, like, <laughs> that's true i didn't all think are about so that. fucking old like roger and mark and they they look joanne looks like she's 40 joanne is like the one of the young people though but she looks old joanne is like the one like her and rosario dawson are the two people in the movie who aren't originating cast members and they're the only ones who like seem to give a shit about being there and whatever but like the um yeah like mark they look like they're in their 40s not their 20s yeah they look way too old and they should they should be in their 20s yeah because they're acting like petulant children sometimes they're acting like you know, even though this is life or death and it's not something to make fun of and there is really heavy stuff that the show should be talking about, the characters are just such self-involved assholes yeah. that it's easy. It almost makes it feel like it, it. it's almost asking for the criticism of like, these petulant children don't want to pay rent. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it shouldn't be that way, but I feel like they're just very badly motivated characters who just want to fuck and get high yeah. and like write their stupid movies or whatever. <laughs> Which is the funniest part of the movie by far. Right. <laughs> it's so like the end of the movie when he like premieres his film. In the fucking kitchen or something. Yeah. Like it's not, he didn't even like succeed. I don't get what you're supposed to feel at this point. Cause it's like, he doesn't succeed. He makes a, sh- he takes his shitty home movies. No sound no dialogue yeah no documentary nothing it's just like clips of the things you saw from his fucking eight millimeter and then that's a movie or something and they just watch it in their house it's just complete shit yeah (laughs) and like roger when he like finally plays his song it's complete of of course no one's ever gonna listen to that song Which is like the whole point is that they are doing something with their... This is the thing, is that what we talked about at the beginning of the episode with the big chill in Woodstock 99 is that it it does sort of exemplify the Gen X like railing against something. Yeah. And like wanting to do something else other than what your parents did, which is like have kids and die at 30. Right. Um, But... There's this almost, I think what makes me mad about the story is that there's this almost hitting on something with the rent thing of like, we're way poorer than our parents. We're in much more dire straits. We have a disease that's specifically killing the queer ones or or the drug addicts and the government is not helping. And the movie correctly identifies that like the cops are on the side of the property owners. Mm -hmm. The cops are not there for justice, you know, uh, it has all of these like almost getting at something and then just like being like, I made a movie. <laughs> I wrote a song. 
Yeah, it's because it's the problem. The drag is like, queen dies, and then that's it. Yeah. So in the like, I I hate to keep coming back to the show, but oh, like you, it, you have to like you have to see the two against each other. Is like it's it's much more of an ensemble piece than it's presented in the movie. It's very clear from watching the movie that Chris Columbus only identifies with Mark. The only oh, people absolutely. he identifies with are Mark and Benny. And like Benny <laughs> is like, well, but Benny is like presented as being so rational in this movie. I like, know. They He's love clearly him. right. Yeah. <laughs> They're clearly like, this is what I'm saying is that it feels like it's asking for the criticism of like, just pay the rent. Yeah. And like Mark. Don't be a child. Mark is the second best because you, you identify with Mark because you're like, well, look, I mean, he's like a good kid at heart. And yeah. Like, he just you wants know, to make movies. At some point, like me, at I'm some Chris point Columbus. he'll grow up and he'll, he'll, you know, stop doing he'll this. Make Harry the, Potter. Yeah. <laughs> Or the Home Alone movies, but like, yeah, like the 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 time spent with with Tom and Angel is fairly minimal. Angel especially like gets really shafted in this movie. Like Angel's character is like, you know, standing ovations at at, at a live show. I mean, like people love wow. that character. Like she has, or he has nothing to do. Nothing um, to do in this movie at all. I mean, he he buckets is, of charisma on stage. Like absolutely, like the that's the role in the it, show, it, and it's 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 handled so poorly for two. It like if it was this, if it was this uh, ped, um, word I'm trying to think of, uh, patronizing mm-hmm. in 2005, I would have or in 1995, I might have understood. But there's like fucking really stupid scenes of like. He's a drag queen. Yeah, yeah, and, like, yeah. <laughs> and it's like they're like the he, he goes to fucking like the little like rehab or, or um AIDS uh, uh, support circle support yeah. circle and like takes his wig off mm-hmm. and it, it's like this very serious thing like what am I supposed to be thinking here Yeah, right. Like <laughs> why would you take your wig off? Why would you wear it and then sit down and take it off? Yeah, it's like, like a respectful thing like you take off <laughs> you your take hat off your at your a hat. restaurant. <laughs> insane and it's like i don't know if that's in the play i don't know what's in the show but like just watching the movie and this being my first interaction it like it feels like something that isn't written by a queer person it's not that's something i always thought that jonathan larson was gay but he's not he's he's just the mark he's mark he's a soy boy he's absolutely like he's he's literally just like a mouth agape soy boy pointing at gay people (laughs) it's that meme i was literally like i was so high last night watching this movie and I, like, I tweeted all that shit about about roger being an incel or a valsel icon but then i was like i had the funniest one of those was going to be like the two mouth agape pointing guys and it was going to be roger and mark and then it was just going to be a homeless person with a shopping cart that they're pointing at <laughs> Well, and that's one of the worst parts of the movie, though. Oh, where... but so so I was gonna say this is something from the show that gets completely dropped. That interaction happens all the time in the show. Oh, it's constantly happening. So in the movie, uh, Mark is um, filming the two cops walk up and start fucking with a homeless woman. Which, in my mind, I process it through the lens of twenty twenty of like. Well, I think it's good to like film the cops. Mm-hmm. Um, and he even says, like, you know, say hello to Tom Koppel or on yeah. the Midnight News or whatever, coppers. And they like stop fucking with her. And then the, the college educated homeless woman <laughs> who's not mentally ill or on anything is yeah. just like, 
you, I don't need your help. You're a, you know, she just starts berating him for like. For being just like an artist and whatever. Yeah, for trying to like, you know, exploit her plight. (laughs) Like she says it like in this monologue of like, this is why you're actually just fluffing your own ego. And it's like, what the fuck? Where is this coming from? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it, it feels really awkward. Um, and it feels stupid because if he was just trying to help her by filming the cops, why would she think that about him? Yeah. Also, why would she not be a mentally ill person? Why would she not be, you know, why would she have like all of these like sort of political theory words on hand to describe right. why he's exploiting her? Actually, um, it felt so ham fisted. Um, but apparently it happens all the way through the show so in the show. It's like it's there's this kind of like constant undertone of like there's the story is happening to our squatter friends, but then there's also just homeless people around all the time. Right. And there's like this, uh, I don't know what you would call it. It's like a refrain, I guess of like, uh, there's like a group of like four homeless people who just sing these like little songs kind of to like transition between time oh, periods, like a little knee play chorus. <laughs> I don't know what that. Uh, At least in operas, there's just like the little like uh, side, like the sirens in Shakespeare. Oh yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Uh huh. So it's like it's this group of four that are that they signify, I guess, like the transition of seasons. And so okay. it's they're singing about essentially like what this next season will be like as a homeless person. Okay, and that's so cool. the like it's beginning to snow. I think you get in in this show, but like they're you know. Th- they're always just like singing about like, Hey, this shit fucking sucks. We have nowhere to go. And, uh, it's really cold out. (laughs) (laughs) I would like like, a house, please. There's one where it's like a guy with like a squeegee and he's like, he's like squeegeeing somebody's car. He's like, Hey, honest living man. And then like the, the, uh, the rhythm of the song is him just repeating that over and over. Just like honest living, honest living, honest living. Uh, but then, so like those characters are the ones who will have these interactions with the characters and, and in the show, it's not a cop is the cop's not fucking with the homeless woman. He's literally just filming a homeless woman. (laughs) (laughs) And so she's like, Hey, leave me the fuck alone. (laughs) That absolutely changes things. But it's also saying like, it's just this like writer, just like I kind of assuaging his guilt of like being the one to be like, I didn't actually ever have any problems. I went home to my rich parents and wrote this play (laughs) and then staged it. Um, it seems like the play could be fine. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, I might not have as many criticisms. I still don't love any of the music except no, for that one song. No, the music all sucks. Um, I Just can't the ima- top to bottom bad songs pretty much. <laughs> I can't imagine really enjoying the play based on the songs. No. I can imagine it being more interesting and having like a respect for the ideas if it was at all legible or like uh readable but it's as, much more it's much easier to follow as a movie I would say. again one of the worst movies i've ever seen <laughs> it looks like shit it's filmed like a hallmark made for it tv looks movie so wild it's, it looks like the joke that i made on twitter last night was that it looked <laughs> like if you told me that this took place in the same universe as teenage mutant ninja turtles i would believe absolutely. it absolutely it looks like the way that he portrays new york is wild. you know what it looks like it looks like home alone 2 escape from new york or whatever uh-huh. like it it looks so 
like there's a shot one of the i laughed out loud they cut to the subway which looks like it has white carpet uh-huh. like it looks so clean with like a couple graffiti tags on it yeah like it it looks like they clearly have a brand new car from like the uh the mta museum and then we're like can we spray paint it for this and they're like not too much <laughs> not too much <laughs> um yeah it looks like a, a the most saccharine uh cleaned up sanitized version of new york city well, i was gonna say it, 80s it, and it, 90s. It, it 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 whips wildly between like it's like it, it it's big quotes gritty like it looks like a fucking it looks like a pottery barn <laughs> like, it looks yes. like, like it looks like it's it's so like capital s set like everything yeah. on the set of their loft is like it's ridiculous like how would it have gotten like that <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> it, it, it looks like they like turned off of the lights in a crate and barrel yeah like <laughs> it's dark but it's like nothing really looks dirty. Yeah, like, the dirt looks like faux finish. It looks like it's like sponge painted on. Yeah, <laughs> everything looks awful. Um, the acting, I, I know it's the original cast and that's important to people, but it's it bad. Sucks. It's so it's bad. Awful. They should have gotten real actors. You know what? I know we're going way over time, but we haven't even talked about the Bohemian Life song. Oh my and god! And I wanted to get to this because this really sums up. It's the up. worst song in the show. It's the worst song in the movie. It's, it's so bad, so bad because it's just them saying, "Hey, we're Bohemians, and that's cool." And what that means is a list of words, yeah, that we like, which are Gertrude Stein, uh, anarchy. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Like they, just, they like, vary listing. wildly. So yeah. sometimes it's like it's it's like you know anarchy, revolution, whatever. And then sometimes it's huevos rancheros, and you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> the food, you just like eggs. <laughs> what I does guess? that mean? What is that doing here? <laughs> <laughs> There's it's the most bizarre thing because I think that really encapsulates the Gen X thing mm-hmm. of, and I can't tell if it's making fun of itself or not. Um, it is a little bit. I think like. It's it's like I mean you're definitely supposed to think that Mark is a wiener. You're supposed to think that the first act of the show is like a little bit saccharine because like there's a distinct change that happens when Angel dies, right? And like all of that like there's no song like that after Angel dies. <laughs> you know, like shit gets yeah. like much the tone gets way darker and it's like real now. it's no longer like this goofy like hey we're just fucking artists hanging out and whatever it's right. all just like i'm leaving i'm going to fucking santa fe i'm done here this sucks i hate my girlfriend she's mean <laughs> to me <laughs> yeah but i think it really it, it it doesn't feel in this movie at least like it's not like it's criticizing it yeah, at all no. and you it's know, too it's too high on its own supply. It's too like it's bought in too much of its own bullshit. But it really bothers me because I do think like I didn't really know honestly, I didn't know what a bohemian was. Yeah. But it really stupid just, word. It really just is like a nineteen twenties word for like hipsters. Artist. Yeah. yeah, it's a hipster. Um, exactly. It's a hippie it's hippie for the nineteen twenties. Mm-hmm. But I think that that concept, that like youth culture of like being a like having being against the the status quo is literally just what revolutionaries are right it's just they're bohemians when they started to become like a product mm-hmm. um 
And so there's that little interlude where they're like putting on a little stage show and he introduces all the different people's things that they're going to be doing. And you're like, this sounds like the worst show. (laughs) (laughs) It's all just like, was it like uh, she's going to do like a fashion show and accompany herself on the bucket drums? (laughs) And it's like, she's going to play the electric cello, but she doesn't know how to play it. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever seen Stomp? No. I never have either, but I really want to. It seems like fun. It seems like <laughs> it seems fun. like good fun. Uh it's just one of those like Same with Blue Man Group, man. I'd love to see the I'd Blue Man Group. I love to see group. that too. Yeah, this is not like that. This is has like this weird perspective from nowhere because I honestly don't know what happens with the rent. Yeah. Do they have to pay the rent? Do they move out? What happens? He gives them he gives Benny a check at some point. He does. In he the does movie? To, like in advance yeah he's just like look i got an advance from my new job and like i don't need your fucking charity dude that's and that's this that solves the movie i feel like that might be the last we hear of it because i think we see benny again at the funeral yeah we do and he's like i guess he knew angel or something it like shows up and is like well no because he's dating mimi at that point really no i thought roger was no they had broken up already they break up in this movie god it's really hard to follow yeah they break up um i don't remember why but they break it up. doesn't matter um <laughs> at all and she's dating benny at that point but benny is like very clearly like not what she's interested in at all i don't even recall them dating um so yeah, I don't know how it ends. It just feels like so many left strings are left undone where it's just like the main thrust of the movie is Mark making a movie finally. It's so stupid that that's the focus of the movie. It's unbelievable. Like, And the show too. The show ends the same way. Yeah. It for sure. Like that's always a problem I've had with it is like, it's like what does really happen at the end? It's just like everyone's like, hey, it's sad that Angel died. What were? What's the point of it? Like, what's, yeah. what are you trying to say? Is that, like, it's hard to live in New York City and want to be an artist? Yeah. But And I think what the thing is is that it's the writer being like, I got to make a play, though. Yeah. yeah. And, like, that's what's important to me. And that's the end of my story. It's like, I left off and I made this play. You know what's even crazier? Hmm. He doesn't even live to see it. Oh, he dies? He dies, like, the week that it comes out. Yeah. Did he see the first opening? No. He didn't oh, make his opening man. night. No, he died when it opened off Broadway too. Of he didn't what? even see it go to. He had like some sort of like a heart disorder or something like oh that. Oh my god! That he just had gone undiagnosed his whole life, and he just like drops dead. <laughs> Jesus. What's even? What's? I don't want to say funny because it's not funny. But like, what's crazy is that like forever the mythology of the show has been that Jonathan Larson was a gay man who dies of AIDS, and like it's only until you like read the Wikipedia where you're like. Oh no, he wasn't. He was a straight man who died of a like heart embolism right. or whatever. He's Mark. Like, he's Mark. He's yeah. Mark, and then he makes his movie, and it becomes a world success right after he dies of some totally nonsensical thing. Yeah, senseless. So <laughs> some cartoon shit. Yeah, he gets hit by a Mack truck. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it. But that's the thing is, it feels so it feels like it really wants to be revolutionary. It really wants to mean something. It's just grasping mm-hmm. at anything for something to mean something. And it has no idea where to even look. Um, so it's just frustrating <laughs> and 
sad in a lot of ways, but not for any of the characters or it just feels so empty. Yeah. Um, again, music is awful. Acting is awful. <laughs> it looks like shit. There is no reason to watch this movie <laughs> ever. Maybe go like, I won't say don't see the show because I, I, it sounds so different from the way you're describing it. Yeah. That I almost want to watch a sh- the show now just to... Don't, you don't have to watch the show. I would recommend if you wanted to do any... I, this is going to sound insane. <laughs> if you wanted to do anything, listen to the soundtrack. Okay. Because I was really... Imp- the thing that was really impressive to me about it the first time I ever saw it was how little I needed to actually have seen the show because I'd already heard the soundtrack. Right. It's a story. It's a story a that's told in music you follow it that well that like I wasn't, there was nothing added by seeing it. <laughs> yeah. I just was like, Oh, that's what Wait, did you see it live? I did. Yeah. I've seen it live twice. I think actually okay. um, and in, in, in Broadway. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it wasn't good. It's good. It's a good show. I mean, I, I liked the music in general. Um, when I was like, a uh, I, I had a time period where I got like really into musical theater. Okay. Because I was in some self-destructive patterns. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hated myself and I, I wanted to listen to bad music. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like actually like uh, it was like during high school I had like some like seriously self-destructive tendencies and like a music teacher had kind of like helped me out of that. Oh, nice. And like part of that was getting me involved in the musicals oh that's cool and so i started getting into musicals at that stage but my understanding of musicals is solely in that time period (laughs) (laughs) so like anything that came out after like 2005 it basically was like seeing this movie i feel like like, was when i was like all right i'm done (laughs) (laughs) if this is what it is i'm done (laughs) (laughs) all right so rent this the the film version of rent destroyed your love of musicals absolute garbage do not watch this one of the worst fucking movies i've ever seen hardly anything good about it uh except that one song which i honestly think was a really nicely constructed song very sad story but i had to imagine like a world of like what if i was watching this movie yeah um yeah well that's part of what's good about listening to the the soundtrack of a show sometimes is like if it's a good enough soundtrack that you can follow the story like you actually get to just imagine the thing and it's way better than what you end up seeing i fully believe you that like if i listen to the soundtrack like if i wait a couple weeks and like listen to the the soundtrack or like the original cast recording i might be like that's pretty nice yeah um, the songs that you think are cringy are still cringy they're absolutely still cringy yeah but But there's a lot of fun like wicked yeah. And I like Wicked. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not it's bad music. I get it. Like it doesn't sound good, and it's produced like everything I hate about rock and roll. Right. I'm in a band. I like. I care about that stuff. But it's like it's catchy, and I get it in a way that's like it's a different thing. It's not mm-hmm. supposed to be just listened to it on its own. It's a story. It has like this fairy tale thing. I can accept it. Um, and I I know that sound, and it is sort of grating to me. But like I can get past it if the song's good enough. Yeah. So it's like. I, I wouldn't say the songs are good enough. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> but what I would say is like the coolest parts of the soundtrack to me are like the bits that got cut from this movie, which are like the little interstitials that are like the like the intro, for example, of um, Mark to camera being like, hey, here's who I am. Here's who Roger is. You know, we live in this place. It sucks. Uh, Roger is dying of AIDS. His girlfriend killed herself. And, um, you know, he's trying to write a song before he dies. Right. And all of that is sung over him tuning the guitar. 
Oh, interesting. And so like it's like weird little things like that are nice like ideas. really fun little things that like are just like storytelling, a little bit of sound. That's it. <laughs> that's cool. That shit's cool. Not like, in the movie. Not in the movie. <laughs> there's like um there's like a recurring thing of like people leaving like worried um answering machine messages and those are like sung uh into mm. an answering machine so it's like got like that sort of oh, like sound quality to it that's nice. fun why is it not in the movie why is it not in the movie yeah okay never watch this movie ever 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 you it's have so no bad. reason to you it's, don't have to do it's it it's fucking awful I, and and i think the reason i'm being extra hard on it is that it's not even funny in a laughing way yeah i mean we haven't really done that on the show one of like i've talked about it on uh in the what have you watched this week mm. uh, a little bit but like um i love bad movies like i yeah. i most of what i watch nowadays is like movies that are so bad that i laugh at them with my friends um my friend made a whole show about it it's on shutter go watch joe bob <laughs> um like that's what i've been doing since college um but this is not funny it's yeah. infuriating i think if it didn't have the songs it would be <laughs> Oh, I yeah. really think if they oh, like, yes. if you just skip through the songs, you could have some fun watching like how stupid it is most of the time. Absolutely, like there's a, like the sequence where he's dancing with Joanne, mm-hmm. uh, and they're ta- they're baffling song because they both think that Maureen cheated on them, and then that like never comes back. Remember, there's like the whole part with like she cheated, yeah, 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 yeah. she cheated, and then it's like what what did she cheat no it's just like mark is just being like a fucking it's like another one of those things where it's like he's just a bad dude because he's like yeah it's clear again it's clear in the show but like it's like (laughs) it's it's he's just like manipulating her he's just being like she's a fucking she's a pestilence she'll fuck you up Um, she'll fuck you up you fucking idiot you don't even know what you're getting into and then (laughs) which causes her to be like suspicious of her for the rest of the play it's the worst part of the play it's the worst part of the movie um but there's this part where she dips him and then he like falls on the ground yeah he like cracks his head on the ground and then he wakes up in like a bigger dance but sequence when you see that like just that the editing of that moment is confusing uh-huh. like you're like was that supposed to be funny or am i supposed to like feel like he's like had this emotional weight of something and then there's a bigger dance sequence and then i was like and then oh. an even bigger one after that. And then you're like, wait, what is happening? And then it's like, he wakes up and she's like, oh, you hit your head. And he's like, I feel great now. And it's like, oh, so that was a dream sequence. But for what? Yeah. And th- you still are just like, Im- you're just confused and then more confused. It like leads you down these paths of like, what? <laughs> uh, but not funny. I um, think the funniest, the biggest laugh it got out of me was the scene where they go to life support and um the the aids uh support circle and yeah. um mark is like oh i'm not like you guys like i'm not i don't have aids and whatever and they're <laughs> I'm like i like you and they're like okay that's fine everybody's welcome here he's like okay sorry sorry i'm i'm so fucking awkward oh my god <laughs> and then he like sits down and he like pulls out his fucking <laughs> ridiculous ca- eight millimeter camera, camera. <laughs> a film camera yeah it's like <laughs> Just, have you ever had one of those no. they're so loud like it's like this loud <laughs> it's just such a fucking big camera yeah it's huge without even asking and they're just like but then it's like it's almost like crazy at that point because it's like they're just like yeah it's fine 
because they yeah. are all just like i'm gonna be dead in a couple months yeah. <laughs> who, who cares if this gets out <laughs> yeah all right don't recommend don't recommend Very bad thank you for listening this has been generation loss the show about movies if you'd like to hear more of our show please go to patreon.com slash generation loss where you can hear a weekly bonus episode that we do about the movie news um this week many newses um Lots of talk about what's happening to the industry right now because of the coronavirus. Yes. Um, the Delta variant. The Delta variant, which is the COVID virus. And of course, we talk about how white Wes Anderson is. That's right. We talk about white Anderson. <laughs> Wes Whiterson. Wes Whiterson. Uh, yeah, all that stuff. And then you also get a access to Discord where we show the movies that we're going to talk about. Shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. It's actually a secret. Um, but that's a f- and it's also a, just a fun time where we hang out sometimes. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. As he likes an American spirit, he asks how I can smoke such shit. I say there's nothing like chain smoking, GPC cigarettes. Cause any smokes will kill ya But these will make you feel like it I sit back down on the parking lot curb And remember back to February The trip to Hartford When five minutes ago He was passed out on the staircase Trying to walk to his apartment But not making it all the way He's driving us 100 miles an hour down the interstate Another beer in his hand, swearing we won't be late That was before everyone moved to New Mexico They all left a couple of months ago Until the day, my friend When I sleep on the floor of your van again I'll be waiting in this parking lot And in my dreams I am dirty, broke, beautiful and free My hands clenching a fist And my face in a smile